Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Underground. Uh, I'm coming at you. Pastor Tyler Sturkey, I'm your host this week, uh, as we are continuing uh, the supplemental series that we're doing uh, through First and Second Peter. Uh, in this series, we're calling uh, Hope for the Scattered, uh, where we're looking at what it looks like to be almost kind of exiles and foreigners in this world, that as we follow Jesus and recognize that this place is not our home. Uh, so what does it look like when you're living in a place that is not your home, where, you, where you're always going to kind of feel a bit out of step, um, a, bit, a, a bit out of joint with the way things are that are normal in this world? And so Peter covers a lot of these different things. And so we're several weeks into the series. And so uh, week number three, we're jumping into it and covered a... Uh, a historically sticky passage, I'll, I'll be really honest, and so anytime I tackle sticky passages, I can only tackle them with one person, and that is my wife, Lindsay Sturkey. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello. <laughs> Thank you, I think, for having me here. I have to tell you guys, when Tyler asked me, hey, do you want to record the podcast with me this week? And I said, sure, sounds good. What's the passage? And then he told me, and I said, uh, maybe I should have asked what passage it was before I agreed to do this. And I promised her, like I had said, I was like, you know, as soon as I sent her the passage, because I mean, honestly, I had asked you like before I really started looking through my notes, uh, you know, because it was like the beginning of the week, I was starting to get my notes ready, you know, for preaching and stuff. And so when I invited you to record, then I like start getting into the passage. And I'm like, oh, she wants like the exact pa-. and I look it up and I'm like. Oh, it's government, slavery and submission. I mean, easy, right? <laughs> what could go wrong? And so I was like, oh man. And so I'm like, I'm telling her, I'm like, I promise I didn't know it was about this. Whenever I asked you, I was just like, I hadn't had you, like you and I hadn't like hosted the, hosted the show together in a while. And so, yeah, I sh- next time I'll check. Not throwing me any softballs this time. Yeah, no, we're, we're dive right in. We're looking at the hard stuff, looking at some, an interesting passage yes. uh, today. Um, so, but yeah, uh, I, I mean, I guess without further ado, We'll just read the passage and then we'll just make observations and talk through. And there's some interesting parts of the text that, man, I wish I could have dealt with on Sunday morning, like when I preached. But, you know, you're just limited in your time and, and scope. And, and that's why we're doing this. That's why we do this podcast, to be able to take things a little bit deeper. And so hopefully I'll get to handle uh, handle certain parts of the text with a bit more care and a bit more time. Uh, and hopefully you'll save me with some of your insights. I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) So I, yeah, I will go ahead and just jump into, jump into the text. So yeah, the, the text that we uh, were studying today is in uh, first Peter chapter two, starting in verse 11, and then goes through uh, the first part of chapter three to chapter three, verse uh, seven. So I'll go ahead and read it for us. All right. Peter writes, "Uh, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people and do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
slaves in reverent fear of God's in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those uh, who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before, before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving for you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When, he hurled their, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For his wound, uh, by his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit, su- submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who have put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to, give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs of, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. All right. Well, I'll I'll lob the softball to you first, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> what are what are some things you notice in the text just right away? So I think overall, it just what stands out to me is just what does it look like to live as free people changed by God under this existing power structure that um, is can feel very counter to the life that we think God is calling us to. And so what does it look like to live in that already but not yet kingdom of God mm. that we are being changed and transformed? But practically speaking, how do we actually live that out in a fallen world that has broken systems and oppression and what does that actually look like? And so mm. I feel like, you know, and I know you addressed that Sunday as well, but yeah. it's like, what does it look like to to live and to love in that system? And so it's just, it's a very, you know, we can read some of this and think it's outdated or it's about old concepts, but when we are able to understand the context and then bring that into today, I think it's a very applicable passage to just our current moment. Yeah. Because like the thing, and I talked about this in my message a little bit, that in some ways those first two verses, 11 and 12, almost serve as a bit of a th- like a golden thread that is woven throughout that lives such good lives among the pagans. So he's like naming that already not yet reality that though we have experienced that living hope in a, by the new birth that he mentions in chapter one, though we have experienced the new birth, we're still living in a broken and sinful world. We're still living among pagans, those who refuse to recognize who God is 
and, and allow his glorious gospel to change every dimension of society even. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, just anyway, but then he says, live in such a way that even though you might be accused of doing wrong, they can't actually deny your good deeds because of even in the face of injustice and oppression and hardship and broken systems, uh, you still continue to live the way of Jesus. And there's some, I mean, there's difficult stuff here, Mm -hmm. like for sure. Like it, you know, begins to go into stuff around government and boy, that's a, (laughs) that's a, that's that's a a tough one. That's a sticky thing. Yeah, it is. And I think even within that, um, by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And again, it's mm, that. That's good. That yeah. is good, isn't it? Um, and that's not me. That's straight from the scripture if, for you, those of you it's listening. It's right in the middle of stuff about government. Yes, right in the middle of there is some good stuff. And so, again, it's that way of... So just to be clear, Peter directly connects ignorant talk of foolish people with <laughs> government. So, I'm just going to leave that there, and so you yeah. can interpret so That's the end of the podcast. Hey, yeah. we'll, see, we'll see you guys later. No. <laughs> That's all you need to know. So again, I think it's that, you know, where in it's saying that we are to live as free people, but not use our freedom as a cover up for evil, live as God's slaves. So again, it's that idea that we are free, but we are bound to God. And so what does that look like then within this power structure that is over us that we know we are free, yet we are not going to just come in and force our freedom or force our ways, but we are going to live such lives of love and good deeds that that who God is and, and his way of living is manifested through our lives and not something that we are arguing about or trying to convince of, but it's apparent just in the way that we're existing. And I mean, it honestly makes me think of, and again, the, the example of Jesus is invoked multiple times in this chapter. It honestly makes me think of Jesus being on trial before Pilate and yeah. before Herod, that they're accusing him. I mean, literally, it's talking about this in the text. They're accusing him of being something that he's not of. So the accusations of, which I mean, this became, this was partly what led to the persecutions of the Christians of saying they're refusing to sacrifice to the Greek and Roman gods. They're refusing to give the proper quote unquote respect that any Roman citizen would give to the gods. I mean, worship of the gods and idol worship was considered a patriotic thing because they believed if you didn't, if you didn't properly honor the gods, you would incur their wrath, which would damage society. So they viewed the worship of idols as good for the community. So when these Christians are like, I'm sorry, but I believe in one God and I worship him alone, to them, you were being unpatriotic. You were threatening the whole community by refusing to give the emperor or the gods or whoever uh, their due. And so they would often accuse them, you're stirring up violent revolution because you claim a different king. I mean, this is accused of Paul. This is accused Mm -hmm. of Jesus claiming to serve a different king, this Jesus. I mean, this is in the book of Acts over and over again. But of saying, well, no, that's not true, because like Jesus said before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If I was really going to do this violently, which unfortunately at times Christians have departed from the gospel way and have tried to do things violently, um, but of saying like when we go the way of Jesus, then it's where he stands his ground he speaks truth. I mean, he speaks what they're doing is evil. Um, but when they heap abuse and, you know, torture and things like that, he entrusts himself to God, trusting yeah. that God will vindicate him. 
And I think that's such an example to us of what it looks like to not have to come in and convince and argue Mm. that that's not our job. I love how it says that Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Yeah. And it's like, can we have that same posture? Because it's not our job to convince the world, um, but it is our job to live it out and to really surrender and trust God in that. And there's so there's so much nuance there when it comes to power structures and oppression. Like there's oh, sure. so much there that we can't really get into in this amount of time. But just that overall posture of surrender, I think is just such a, an amazing thing that Jesus modeled for us of what that yeah. looked like to stand firm, but to surrender as well, well. I mean, it always reminds me of what I think it was Jonathan talked about whenever we were going through the Sermon on the Mount back in the summer where he was saying whenever he's talking about like love for enemies and turning the other cheek that that historically can be viewed with a false dichotomy that it means either I roll over and be a doormat or I respond in violent revenge mm-hmm. and retaliation but what Jesus was actually saying there is no you actually stand your ground you speak truth but you refuse to uh respond to evil with evil but instead like paul said you overcome evil with good just like jesus did to where i mean there's even the thing where he speaks out against the high priest and then he gets struck in the face and i think a similar thing happens to paul where he says something and then gets struck and then he said i didn't realize it was the high priest and it's almost like he shows honor and respect even though he's being unjustly tried even though he's being beaten and tortured with an and is about to be crucified. And then Paul, of course, is jailed unjustly. And yet they both respond with reverence and respect to those who are in authority because they recognize what is said here. Every human authority, even though they may sometimes abuse their authority, comes from God because God, God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I just, I love the verses in here about Jesus and what that looks like for him because what that. I think what that can encourage us into is that Jesus understands what it is like to be in a position of no power. Yeah. The difference is he chose that. Yeah. He gave up his power. And so I love how it talks about, um, you know, that he is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Mm. And so not only does he understand what that feels like, but he wants to model a different way of power. Yeah. And that just those terms of shepherd and overseer is such um, a more gentle and powerful approach in such a different way. Yeah. And just what that looks like for him to have power versus these structures and oppression that that this passage is talking about. That really stood out to me too. And I think we're always kind of at a, I just, I struggle with, and I feel like I, I there's always like two or three translations that I look at whenever I like look at scripture because I mean, it's just hard sometimes to convey in another language the nuance of a particular word. Like when it goes into the section about slaves, like we're reading out of the NIV right here, or it translates it as slaves. I got to admit, like while I was preaching it, while we're reading it now, even as I'm saying it, there's a cringe factor to that. And some mm-hmm. of that is like even our kids, mm-hmm. like your kid, like our kids are, are black. Mm-hmm. And so there is a whole history in American history tainted with sl- just the the horror of American slavery. Yeah. 
that it's hard not to hear those words and you think of those images. And this isn't just, again, this isn't just theory. This isn't just ideology. Like we have children who 150 years ago very likely could have been slaves like that. But then also recognize, and I talked about this in the message a bit, other translations recognize that the, uh, the Greek word there, oikotai, it literally means like of the household. It was like a household servant. Mm-hmm. And I think in my message I said something. It'd be, a, it'd be akin to like Alfred the butler, like in the Batman you know, movies and comics and stuff, that it was, it was a, a servant who lived in the house and sometimes raised and took care of the kids, like for the master as he went and did business and stuff like that. So it wasn't quite like the American slavery. Now, again, as I said before, not to minimize, like, oh, well, slavery's fine then. Like, no, every form of slavery was always bad, but it wasn't quite the same thing. But again, like what you said, this is about power structures mm-hmm. that Peter is recognizing there are those among those, you know, those with no power, slaves in the ancient world, servants, whatever translation you want to use, who have come to Christ and they have masters who are not Christian. It's interesting. There's always an evangelistic quality to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, submit to author- the you know authorities, the government to win them over. They'll see your good deeds. Hey, slaves, they're your masters who don't know the Lord, like in, in your reverent submission and your trusting to God, you're a witness. And it goes on that with, I mean, wives as well, saying that, that, their, that their behavior, their righteous behavior will actually win over their husbands if they don't know the Lord. Like there's almost, he spe- he's assuming the one in power doesn't know the Lord. Right. And I think that goes back to what it looks like to live as a believer in these unjust power structures, but with an eye on loving others and seeking their good and saying, if you are wanting to see uh, people in these power structures um, come to the kingdom, the way to do that is not to come in with force or asserting your rights, but it is the way of love. Yeah. And just painting a picture of how that looks. And it's very different than, than the way we might imagine of coming in and, and kind of living out that freedom that we know is ours. But what does the way of love look like in those situations? Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, then it gets into whew, the section on wives. And I feel like I should say anything. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want to have a true word on that? Sure. Well, I think, you know, like we've been talking about, you really do have to understand a lot of the context. And this was speaking of the power structure at the time was that wives did not have power, um, very different than it is today. And so when you're reading this, you really have to take into consideration that context when you're understanding this. I mean, to the point of like they were considered property. Right. Like it was viewed as your father owned you. Mm-hmm. And then he made a deal with another family, almost like a trade to give you or sell you or whatever to marry the son of this other family often to create i mean just it's just the way and there's parts places in the world where that's still true arranged marriages and things like that not always the case but a lot of times it's about social advancement or economic advancement that if i can make a deal with this other wealthy or politically or socially connected family if i can marry my daughter to their son well, then that forever binds my family to their family. And so that will advance my, and so oftentimes that's driven. And so it can treat the daughter like capital mm-hmm. of like, it's a, it's a possession to be traded or sold or used for, 
you know, for the sake of that. And so, of course, they, they had no rights, no power, no voice. Divorce could not be initiated by, even if they're beaten and mistreated, it could only be initiated by the husband. Yeah. So taking into consideration all of that, the question then becomes for a wife in that position where she has no power, but yet she has freedom in Christ, what does it look like to love? And what does it look like to... um almost lay down her rights voluntarily instead of trying to force her freedom that she does have. And, you know, as we're, as we're reading through, like you said, that evangelistic kind of quality to it of like, what does it look like for her to be the presence of Christ in a marriage where she has no power? Yeah. And yeah, it's like when we look at it through that lens, it completely changes the meaning of how we understand this passage. Yeah. Because, and he's even speaking to some of, the way the world would typically talk about what is normal is manipulation mm-hmm. of which sadly enough, things have not changed that much in this regard that oftentimes, especially in our hypersexual sexualized culture now, oftentimes women's worth and value is attached to their sexuality in outer beauty. Hence the billions of dollars that are spent on plastic surgery and then body enhancements and beauty products and things like that. Again, nothing wrong with taking care of yourself or wanting right. to, to look nice or take care of your body or whatever. Um, but when you view that as the only valuable asset that I have, mm-hmm. the only way I can get my way is manipulating men or my husband or whoever sexually to get what I want. Cause otherwise I have no power. Um, that's a real thing. And so Peter's almost naming that of saying, no, according to the gospel and according to God, that should not be the driving thing that it's a, like, I love what it says. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Yeah. I love that too. And it's interesting that phrase gentle and quiet spirit. I think sometimes we hear that, especially when it's talking to women And you think, oh, that means you have to be meek and mild and quiet and soft-spoken and that you're kind of in the background. When in reality, Jesus himself says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Mm. So this is not like about being, you know, a quote-unquote feminine quality. Jesus uses that to describe. Yeah, it's like keep your mouth shut, get in the kitchen, know your role. Yeah. When it's like Jesus characterized himself as quiet and lowly in spirit of gentle and kind mm-hmm. and look at the stuff he said and did. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so it's understanding that gentleness does not mean weakness or that you have, you know, that you're, that you don't ever speak out. And so I just, I, I think that's an encouraging thing to see that that is attributes that Jesus himself has. And so to maybe if you hear, cause I know that you can hear that and think, especially if you are a woman who is more outspoken and is more, you know, charismatic or has a big personality and big opinions, it's not saying don't be that. That's not what that yeah. means. And so to think about as Jesus says, I'm gentle and humble in heart, that, that inner quality. Well, I always remember hearing, and I don't know if I heard it from you. I'm actually trying to off the top of my head, remember if I originally heard this from you of like literally the definition of gentleness is strength under control. Were you the one that told me that? I don't know, but I'll I, take credit for it. it sounds really good. <laughs> Trademark Lindsay Sturkey, 2023. 
But I just, I, I've heard that multiple times over the years. I don't even remember. I didn't make it up. So I'm not, I'm not taking credit right. for it by bringing it up. I've heard it from someone else, but that just always blowing me away that gentleness is not, gentleness is neither a masculine nor feminine quality. It's right. a fruit of the spirit mm-hmm. and that it's strength under control, meaning that my, the false dichotomy of my only two options is I'm either a weak willed, quiet, know my role woman, or I'm a super loud, obnoxious man. Neither of those, that's not a true definition of masculinity, nor is that a true definition of femininity. Um, That instead God gives me strength and I control it by the power of God and I use it when it's appropriate. I speak truth, but I speak truth with love. I couple truth and grace. Like Jesus, he spoke truth, and sometimes in very hard ways, but he always did it in love and suffered and entrusted himself to God. And so Jesus is the model for both men and women, yeah. which, which I love. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's so much good stuff in that. And again, if you hear verses like this, and sometimes they can be very loaded phrases or words, And so that's why I think knowing the context is so important and saying, what is this passage really talking about? And it's talking about a power structure. Mm. Um, And so when we understand that, it just, it gives it a whole new meaning and perspective. And I love too what it says. um, I didn't want to miss in verse six, I think, where it talks about um, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Mm. And I just think about when it's talking to the wife here who has no power and the fear that might come from taking this path of not asserting yourself and of trusting God instead of trusting in your ability to kind of rise up in your freedom and what fear might come to not do that and what she might be afraid of, of losing. Um, so anyway, that just stood out to me of that question of what, what that fear might be if we don't choose to assert ourselves in when we're under a power structure. Yeah, that is really interesting. And then, Something that I didn't get, I didn't get to get into it in my message, but I, I wanted to explain it a little bit more because I just did some study on it. It was so interesting because oftentimes that that section in the passage where it talks about it, an example of godly submission is Sarah calling Abraham Lord, and I made a joke about that of which I, you know, Lindsay's ne- just note for everybody listening. Lindsay's never called me Lord. I've never asked her to call me Lord. <laughs> um, but it's interesting, like looking at like what was the context of Peter like referring to that and looking in Genesis 18, it's actually the context of the story of when the three angels come to essentially announce to them in a year, like they've been trying, I mean, trying to get pregnant, promise that they were going to have a child and have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. I mean, just all of God's rescue plan was built on this and years went by. I think something like 25 years went by. Abraham's a hundred Sarah's 75. Seems like nothing's ever going to change. And then he, she even, I mean, I think in a moment of, and this is the flesh taking over and trying to make things happen yourself. Sarah gives her, you know, gives her handmaiden to him. And that's where uh, Ishmael is born, which is not the child of promise. And there, and all kinds of problems ensue from that. But it's in this context where the angels finally show up and they're like, a year from now, Sarah's going to have a child. And he's the child of promise. Every, all the promises of God are going to come through him. And I love, because I'm looking at this, it's in Genesis 18, 13. It said, then the Lord, uh, or I'm sorry, it's uh, verses, I think, 11 and 12. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. 
Abraham and Sarah were very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So she just heard the announcement. And it said, verse 12, So Sarah laughed to herself, and she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old. So that's the, the reference of when she called him Lord. Will I now have this pleasure? So, I mean, it's almost in this sarcastic way <laughs> that she says it. But what I love about that moment that Peter's referencing, that was not focusing on who's in charge, who gets the final say, which often sometimes marriage can deteriorate into talking about that. But instead, all of that was focused on the promises of God being played out in their lives. Like, is God really going to fulfill his promise? Is he really going to do what he said, this, this amazing movement, this amazing thing he promised he'd do decades ago? And so, I mean, I think there's something to that, that it's like, I think we experience God's blessing in marriage in as much as we're focused on him and the gospel and not on power. Yeah. Who gets the, who gets the upper hand, who gets the final say? Like, I think we can miss it when it's focused on that. When I try to get you to call me Lord and you just won't do it. And I don't, and, and I don't understand why. Gotta just let it go. Gotta maybe let it maybe go. I need to let that go and focus on the promises of God. Yes. And amen. And I think we both can get on board with that. Yes. Like there's, there's absolutely. Well, and when you look at the way, again, it goes back to what Jesus modeled for us and how he laid down his rights and he, looked at others as better than himself, yeah. even though he's God. Yeah. And so when we look at that, why are we fighting over who's in charge or who gets the final say? Yeah. It should be the opposite of who who's uh, laying down their lives more because that's what we're called to do. Who's serving each other more. That's right. Which then that leads to the last part. So you spoke into the wife thing, so I guess I should speak into the part that's focused on me. Go for it. Where it says, you know, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, NIV translates it as weaker partner. And note for the audio, Lindsay just has this cringe. <laughs> She's just like fighting a sneer on her face. It's funny, I've talked to multiple women who hate this verse mm -hmm. hate that word because we don't understand it we don't know how to explain it and it's interesting and i touched on it briefly in the message of, of explaining how weaker in this sense because the greek word weaker there is not referring to morally or spiritually inferior it is speaking to someone and i think the example that was given in the commentary i was reading someone who is in a weaker position because they owe money to someone else. Mm -hmm. That if I owed you money, I'm in a position of weakness because I owe, you have power over me. Right. So again, it comes back to power. Yep. But anyway, I did, you know, because some translations, that says weaker partner. Uh, I think the more literal translation is the weaker vessel. And boy, people, like, I say people, women struggle with that of saying, like, what do you mean weaker? I mean, yeah, physically, generally speaking, women biologically tend to be, like, physically weaker. Um, but it's like, man, I'm not weak. Like, what are you talking about type of thing? But I actually was uh, doing a... I did a huge deep dive into that phrase, which one of, one of the things that, and we've talked about a little, a little bit of this in the, uh, in the series before, like earlier in the series, and we'll talk about it later, um, that, and we'll see this later in chapter five, that Peter mentions that he wrote this letter with the help of Silas. Now, it was commonly known like, in which I don't know, I don't think we went a ton into this at the beginning of the series, that there was actually questions whether Peter wrote this letter or not because the Greek is actually pretty polished. 
and he was a Galilean fisherman. Like he may have known a little bit of working Greek to be able to like trade, but otherwise would not have known, like not like Paul. Like Paul had very polished Greek because he was a student. Like he was grew up in a Greco-Roman city and had the best training and, and things like that. Like he thoroughly, his Greek was very good. Peter's was not. But it reveals in chapter five that Silas helped him write it, meaning in Silas, who was Greek, likely was translating. He was his scribe. Peter was speaking. He was translating into Greek, which likely means much of this was originally Aramaic. It's Peter talking in Aramaic, Silas translating it down. And so they were, they were talking about the likelihood of that. And so in this, which I'll see, I'm looking at my notes right now, the way they talked about it, that the phrase there for, you know, weaker vessel, uh, especially the phrase vessel there, like the Aramaic equivalent of that basically refers to like cloth or clothing referring to the outrigging on boats, like the sail or the rudder or the anchor. It's not the primary part of the boat, but like a sail is not as strong as the hull physically. It can rip, it can tear, but without it, you're dead in the water. And so the commentator is making the point, is it any, is it, at all surprising that Peter uses a seafaring example to say a wife is not just property, a crate or possessions on the boat. She's part of the boat, an essential part of the boat. I mean, even what it says at the end that, you know, treat her with respect and as a heir with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Meaning just like mistreating or refusing to care for your sail is going to leave you dead in the water. In the same way, like you're not just an addendum, like in my life, you're not just an addendum to my life. Like we're together in this life. We are both a part of the boat. And with it's the only way we're going to navigate the storms of life is to do it together. Yeah. And it suddenly like elucidates and opens up all those ideas about it is not good that man be alone. Mm-hmm. Like there's something to marriage that we navigate the storms of life together, that something is diminished and missing when you're not in my life. For me to mistreat you uh, is not just a mistreating of my property. It's a diminishing of my own life because according to the scriptures, we're one. Yeah. Like that's an entirely different way yeah. of viewing that. It's not like, oh, well, sorry, you're you're weaker than I am, Lindsay. Right. Like, sorry, I guess I'll <laughs> let you come along for the ride. It's like, no, our life, we are one. We are one mm-hmm. flesh. You You are an essential part. Um, that now you may be more delicate in the sense of a sail to versus the whole, like we're not exactly the same, but it has nothing to do with worth or value. Right. It's just different. Yeah. And again, you have to remember that at that time in the power structure, she had less power. Yeah. And so that put her in a weaker position because of that. Yeah. And so the primary thing that Peter is writing, like, Hey, I recognize you have all the power. Don't abuse it. Yeah. Because you're actually transgressing like the gospel intentions of marriage. You are actually torpedoing your own life in mistreating your wife. Because you're not she's not just an addendum to your life. She is your life. You are one. You are together, one and the same together. So anyway, whew a lot there. There, There's a lot there. And a ton of implications. But I mean that that's a this is very much a turning upside down of the world it is like the way that he kind of teases that out yeah and i think even for us to consider you know just even what does that mean for us now 
to think of the places in our lives where we feel powerless and what does it look like to choose the way of love instead of asserting our rights Mm. and to take the model of Jesus. And then on the flip side of that, to think of what are the places that we have power and to notice those around us and around the world who are powerless and what does the way of love look like in that situation? And even in the places I have no power, can I stand with dignity mm-hmm. and even speak truth, but in a way that's honoring and respecting? Yeah, absolutely. Not in a way that is violent and rebellious. And because, I mean, that's even, there's accusations now of, you know, whether it's, oh, just overthrow the government or burn down your marriage or, you know, whatever, uh, that that's not the way of Jesus. Like, that's not the way that Jesus teaches us, um, that we entrust ourselves to God instead of forcing our own way. Yeah. So, well, hey, thank you, Lindsay. And again, I'm sorry for <laughs> sorry for inviting you to another problematic hard text. Sorry, right, I'm not afraid. I just, I, I mean, I just, I trust you more than anybody. You Aww. are, you are, you're not just the wind in my sails. You are my sails. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, okay. And with that. I don't have, I don't have a vomiting soundtrack in here <laughs> else. I'd probably play that. But uh, no, seriously, thank you so much uh, for joining us for New Hope Underground. And we will see you guys next time. See Bye you guys.